0: moment of confession. I like sermons that make you laugh. It's one of the things that make them most fun for me is when I can tell funny stories and engage you, and then I can go home and feel like, yeah, that was a really good sermon. And then there are days when you come to really intense and hard sermons. And if you thought that maybe there was some way I was going to sneak around the hardness of what I just read, there is no sneaking around it. This is a challenging and sobering passage. And in some ways, this sermon, where it took me, it also has an aspect, maybe apropos as I head off on a sabbatical, with some reflection, some personal reflection in here, as I've considered what it means to be a stumbling block and to to others and to myself. And it's worth saying from the outset, there is a very simple application from this passage. And and it is this. It is a bold call to humility. Humility and a deep dependence on the Spirit. That in the end, what I'm going to say, what this passage is teaching us, is that there is a deep, deep call from Jesus to be humble. And the way to that humility is a deep, deep dependence on the power of His Spirit. We're going to desperately need Him because our hearts can so easily Lead us down a dangerous path. So, in our passage today, Jesus uses that word sin four times. There are actually several different words for sin in the New Testament. And the word here spe- specifically is scandalon. Everyone say scandalon. Scandalon. And you can probably hear what it means, it's related to our word scandal. It comes from the word for a bent stick that springs up a trap and sets the bait. And it literally means stumbling block. In fact, some of you, if you have your Bibles, you may even see in that first word sin there, in verse 42, there's a tiny little footnote, and it points you to the bottom, and it will say stumbling block. So what Jesus here is talking about is he's talking about this idea of sin in relation to stumbling block. Think about a stumbling block like that Lego that you trip over in the middle of the night or that dog toy that you step on as you're walking to the bathroom in the dark. A stumbling block is when someone sets a trap to trip us up and to cause us to do something that isn't aligned with the gospel. Although here, we're not talking about physical stumbling blocks. We're talking about spiritual stumbling blocks. So let me define it, if I could. To be a stumbling block is to cause one to sin because something is added to the gospel or taken away from the gospel. So a stumbling block, when there's something that causes to stumble, that stumbling block in and of itself is something that adds to the message of the gospel or something that takes away from the message of the gospel. And the strong warnings of Jesus today invite us to reflect on two aspects of stumbling blocks, stumbling blocks that cause others to stumble and stumbling blocks that cause ourselves to stumble. It's the two ways that this passage is broken down. In verse 42, Jesus specifically is talking about being a stumbling block to others or causing other, putting a stumbling block in front of others. And then he spends the rest of the passage up through verse 48 talking about how we can be a stumbling block to ourselves. And that's basically our outline this morning, looking at those two warnings. <clears throat> and I would begin by asking you these two questions has anyone ever been a stumbling block to you? Has anyone ever put some kind of belief or something in front of you that was a stumbling block, that was adding to what the hope and the message of the gospel was? And maybe the opposite is also as challenging and worth reflecting on, as have you ever been a stumbling block? to someone. Well, let's look at what Jesus says about being a stumbling block to others and to ourselves. Let's start with a stumbling block to others. It's sobering to look back over history and see where Christians have added to the gospel to cause stumbling or where we have taken away from the gospel to cause stumbling, a few quick ones that came to mind for me. Maybe you've heard of the word indulgences. Indulgences in the middle. Indulgences were actually the very reason that the Reformation happened five hundred years ago in the Middle Ages. Greedy leaders of the church decided to add to the gospel by selling indulgences. Indulgences were the belief that. Divine favor could be obtained through human merits, especially financial ones. So in other words, by giving money to the church, God would forgive you your sins and cause you, the person who gave that money or bought that indulgence, less time in purgatory. So the church would sell so-called items. They would create these items. They would say, here's a piece of Mary's hair that you can purchase, and if you buy this, you won't spend as much time in purgatory. Or here's a part of Jesus' tunic. And note this was 1,500 years after Jesus' time on earth. And they would sell these to the church using that to say, if you buy these, then you will be closer to or have a deeper relationship with God. Another way Christians have added to the gospel was by misrepresenting the Bible. Perhaps one of the most egregious was how Christians have used the Bible to justify slavery. Christians did play a role in the abolition of slavery, but still the church was long delayed in its confrontation of it, and there is much written about churches and pastors using Scripture to actually say it is okay to participate in this practice. More recently in Christian culture, many have been reflecting on something from the 90s now referred to as purity culture, a complicated understanding of sex and relationships that in some ways, to maybe oversimplify it, discouraged dating and promoted or elevated the idea of virginity and marriage. It was in some ways the church's response to the sexual revolution, but critics now are discussing how it overemphasized sex, de-emphasized grace, and added unbiblical rules to relationships. There's been recently some real pushback on purity culture, which is a good thing. Critique and evaluation are very important things. We need them. However, what's interesting to talk about how stumbling blocks can be things that we add to the gospel, I would also suggest to you that one way that we have stumbling blocks as well is to take away from the gospel, and often now what we're seeing in culture is just a critique of those stumbling blocks, which invites just deconstruction of how people understood or viewed their beliefs and not reconstruction. It's one thing to talk about the danger and unfortunate aspects of purity culture, but there needs to be a conversation that leads to a reconstruction of what the Bible teaches. Where does the creation of stumbling blocks come from? Well, we see it right here in our text, actually, in the context. What we've been learning from Mark in these Past weeks, as we've been in this for almost a year now, is that Mark is incredibly intentional as an understanding of the flow and direction of how he wants to write this book. And so, anytime we want to ask a question about a passage and its intent, we should be using the passages around it to better understand what's going on here. And so, the creation of stumbling blocks we see right here in the midst of what's going on. Two things that lead to why we create stumbling blocks to add or to take away from the gospel. The disciples. and This is what's challenging about this whole thing is Jesus challenging but loving words to those who were his followers. He's confronting them because they wanted position and power. That stumbling blocks are very much rooted in our desire for position and power. And look what happened right before this. And last week we talked some about this—the position that the disciples were longing for. In Mark chapter nine, verses thirty-three, and they were in Caper- Capernaum. And when they and when he was in the house, he asked them, "What were you discussing on the way?" But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. That in the desire of the disciples, there was something stirring up in them that they were trying to argue and debate who is better, who should have the highest position, who should be in the place above everybody else. They wanted to be in the right position, and Jesus says to them, Do not long to be first, but long to be the servant of all. That oftentimes we create stumbling blocks for other people because. It helps us feel like we are higher than them. And then the second thing we see here is that their hunger for power. Mark 9, verse 38, the gospel writer John says to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And we see what was happening here in the disciples was that there was this elitism that was rising up in them, that, that we are the ones who should have the power. We are the ones who should be in control. And so what John is doing in this moment is he's he's trying to stop somebody from doing something that is good just because it's a little bit out of the spectrum of how he understood it. And Jesus is rebuking John for the way that he's setting up this stumbling block or stopping someone because John wants power. You know, we all have a deep longing for position and power. Are you aware of yours? If we're not asking the Spirit on a regular basis to guide us, we will be prone to putting stumbling blocks in front of others so that we can have position and power. And Jesus offers a very intense warning here. He says it would be better for that person if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. It's interesting Jesus here using this concept of a millstone. It's a giant stone that you can imagine a rope tied around and put around somebody's neck and dropping that into the sea that there would be no way for them to come back. And what Jesus is doing, we read that they're in Capernaum at the time and the trade of Capernaum was to work on millstones. So what he's doing here is he's using something that everyone who was listening to him would understand the intensity of how dangerous it is to add to the gospel or to take away from it. If I could ask you again, For those of you who have been hurt by stumbling blocks, has anyone put a stumbling block in front of you? Humbly, I would offer to you, the church is no perfect place. And I know that there are some, if not more than some, in this room who have been in their journey asked to do things or told to do things that would make them be more seen right before God. And probably that has come from people in my position. And I would ask you with grace to not just deconstruct but to come and be in conversation with us so that you might reconstruct that you might find the grace and love that Jesus truly has for you and for those of you who are on the other side of the spectrum maybe which is something that we should all consider more diligently The question of, have you ever been a stumbling block to someone? I think this passage calls us to reflect on that question. I personally spent some time reflecting on that this week. And it was hard. I have a very vivid memory of getting into a yelling match with someone at a wedding fighting about discipleship and the way discipleship should be done, trying to convince him and others that the way I was doing discipleship was the only way that discipleship should be done. And now I see that I was frankly, making a fool of myself at this wedding and arguing for a way of discipleship that built hierarchy in the midst of Jesus' family. That not only today do I see what I was arguing for as silly, but would probably say it even more strongly as wrong. The desire for power and position It can be so pervasive and sneaky in our lives. More recently, I've been reflecting on Acts 29, the network that this church is built on and still a part of, that elevated pastors with machismo and vibrato, that not everywhere but in some ways taught that women were more like objects than images of God, that didn't just view alcohol as a freedom for Christians but rather celebrated that we should be people who drink. The celebration of this kind of leader was saying that this is how true pastors should be, putting undue expectations on what was required of these leaders. Feeding into the sinful desires of pastors for position and power instead of inviting them into humility and weakness. And you know what overwhelmed me this week when I thought about those things? And I would now offer to those of you who are perhaps pondering ways that you have been a stumbling block. It was this. It was God's grace to me, even in that moment. That he loved me, even in my ignorance, even in my self-righteousness, and loved me just as much then when I was yelling at a wedding as he does right now that there's not something about I've changed or done. He knew how messed up I was back then and he knows deeply how messed up I am now, that, that it's God's grace that helps me not fall into a pattern of self-pity and beating myself up in a way that I can't make right for what was done. Yes, it might be easier to go buy an indulgence, but I don't need to because Jesus has already paid for the wretchedness that exists in my heart. And it's interesting. I think that experiencing grace like that, what it does, when we're able to encounter Jesus that way, it makes us more gracious to others. That the extent to which we are able to encounter the grace of Jesus is the extent to which we will be able to be gracious to others that part of the way we keep ourselves from being a stumbling block to others by adding to or taking away to, from the gospel is to be so deeply immersed in the grace of God. Jesus offers a very stark warning here about leading others to stumble, and maybe the simple application for us all this morning is that, to think about it. Do you ever think about it? what you're adamantly arguing for, what you put before others as truth? When you engage with people in the church, do you approach situations like you have all the answers, that you know everything? Perhaps one thing that this passage has taught me is that If I was messed up 20 years ago and I've been growing since then, I probably could assume I haven't arrived. So maybe we should learn that the grace of God needs to be received and understood more deeply so that I could continue to learn and grow, which would hopefully lead us to love and humility and grace. Well, Jesus knows there will be a temptation for us to be a stumbling block to others, but our hearts are also prone to be a stumbling block to ourselves. A stumbling block to ourselves. The more intense language here continues. that Jesus doesn't just stop with this metaphor of tying a millstone around our neck. Now he uses this metaphor of cutting things off. It's a very rhythmic passage here. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out or tear it out or cut it off. It's all still deeply embedded here in this passage. Jesus is reminding us here and challenging us to the dangers of sin. I find that I'm really good (laughs) at telling others what to do and not so good at telling myself what to do or what not to do. Not holding myself to the same standard. Jesus now talks about how we can be a stumbling block to ourselves. And we don't need to get too deep into this. It's obvious that Jesus is talking metaphorically here. He's not specifically commanding us to cut something off or gouge something out. So, so the question or the challenge to us then becomes, well, what are the, the principles that Jesus is driving us to or guiding us to based on this passage? And the metaphor of the eyes, the hands, and the feet are this all-inclusive way that we understand what we view, what we do, and where we go. Jesus is saying that anything that gets in the way of being my disciple, it must be gone. It must be cut out. It must go away. I would offer to you two principles that I see in this passage. There are more, but two that I'll suggest this morning. The first is this. There is no time or space for safe spirituality that resists God's call for action. Jesus is saying, following me will cost you something. I don't like heights, it's something that is about me that I really don't like them. We went last week, my family had an opportunity to celebrate my parents 50th wedding anniversary by going back to New York where they're from, and we went up the Empire State Building. So at the top of the Empire State Building on the 86th floor, you have an option. You can stay inside. And look at the city, or you can go outside and stand on the edge and look down 860 feet. Of which I chose to just stay right inside. Because it's safe in there. And even though I may have been missing out on the beauty of what you could see, the experience of being on the outside, it was much safer to me to be on the inside. And Jesus here, in this illustration, in his challenge to the disciples, is saying, you cannot play it safe. That sin is so dangerous, it's so grievous, that you have to take action. You have to do something. Which leads us to the second principle, which is this. Jesus might be asking us to give up something that is not sinful in and of itself. There's nothing sinful about the hand or sinful about the eye or sinful about the foot. But what Jesus is saying is, if those things are causing you to stumble, stumble, then take action on those things. Do you have something in your life that you know is causing you to stumble, but you're afraid to cut it out? Here's the problem. If you're like me, you probably know what needs to be dealt with in your life, but maybe it's comfort or laziness or fear of what life will be like without it. We just have this thing in us that we just don't want to do it. And what I would like to offer to you this morning is, in a very short way, answer this question, how can true foundational change come about in our lives? What is Jesus really inviting us to here? How can we get to a place where instead of us just wishing we were different but still wrestling through, not, not cutting out the things we know that need to be cut out, not taking the action of the things that are in our lives that are keeping us from following him, where we're creating our own stumbling blocks where we fall over and over again, what is the true foundation to real change? It's this, church. It's to be melted with the spiritual experience that when God sees you, the one whose only opinion in this world is that matters. He sees you as more precious than any jewel or all the jewels combined in this world. Until we come to a place of truly experiencing how deeply loved we are, how much grace God has shown us in and through his son, Jesus Christ. We will continue to be on the rat's wheel, the mouse wheel of running over and over and over again and stumbling and falling and trying to pick ourselves up. The fact of the matter is that Jesus, he gave up his power and his position so that you could, I could experience him and his love for us. You see, when we truly know who we are in the eyes of God because of Jesus, that's when we can start to confront what is wrong with our hearts. Do you see that this is where stumbling blocks come from? (laughs) Stumbling blocks create false solutions to our problems. But when we can be in the place of seeing that Jesus is the true solution. That's when the path to confronting our struggles can really begin. And so Jesus ends this way. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. How do we become a people who are not a stumbling block to others and not a stumbling block to ourselves? Well, we have to have salt in us, Jesus says. Jesus is saying there is something that is not in you that you need, something that will preserve. He's he's basically saying to the disciples and to you and I, you are going to need something outside of yourselves to change you and I would argue he is saying that that is him, that we're going to need his power and his position to become the people who participate in his coming kingdom. He's using the idea of becoming a preserving force in the world and a peace-giving force in the world. And in order for us to be those kinds of people, Jesus told us through Mark In the beginning of his book, the exact path that's needed to take, the path that were the first words of Jesus, which is a great way for us to conclude this first year in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus said, in order for you to follow me, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. And so church, I would offer to you this morning, might we be a people who are filled with the practice of repentance and belief. Let us repent of our desire for position and power and put our faith in the one who gives us his position and his power. And let us repent of our justification for our sins and put our faith in the one who through his power and his position can provide and give each one of us complete and utter forgiveness. The hope for us in the application of Mark chapter 9 is not in us. It's in the one who has the perfect position and the perfect power to give us what we need to follow him. So have salt in you, church. Take him in this morning and receive his grace. Let's pray. Almighty awesome God, we are humbled by Jesus' words, but are reminded that Jesus would speak strongly because of his love for us. And so may we see the strength of his words this morning towards, the strength of his words towards us is that as loving care. So, Father, we humbly ask that you would help us, protect us, show us where we long and we give in to the sin of position and power. Father, may we never be a stumbling block to others. And, Father, show us The corners of our hearts where we're afraid to trust Jesus. And might we this morning just fall on your grace and find hope and love so that we could truly be transformed. Spirit, come and do a work in this place, a work that we could never do in and of ourselves, do a mighty transformative work in us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.